Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forest Church Podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And we're joined today by Principal Analyst Rick Parrish to discuss the rise of value-based CX and why it matters for every brand and why it matters more today than ever before. Welcome, Rick. Hey, good to be with you. So, Rick, in this podcast, we have spent a fairly meaningful time talking about the emergence of the outrage market, a very socially oriented market, a market that expects companies more and more to participate in the dialogue through its brand and actions. So what is different with this take on than the prior take? Sure. What we're looking at here is going beyond uh, simply having values or uh, uh, maybe marketing on values, but uh, the degree to which companies infuse values throughout the entire customer experience, throughout the entire life cycle, and the various choices that companies uh, have at their disposal in terms of categories of values that they may actually hold and ways that they may express those values uh, throughout different parts of the customer lifecycle. It's funny, from a, from a historic standpoint, if you look at a lot of the go-to-market thought processes, the, the thought process was to maximize the available market. And part of this logic is not that. Part of this market is to recognize that part of the market to which you may antagonize and by doing so, excites the market that's coming your way anyways, meaning you're going to take a smaller market that simply has greater intensity towards your brand. I mean, there's an economic choice inherent in this. Absolutely. There absolutely is. And that's why we are definitely not telling companies what they should be doing. Uh, the problem is that there are a lot of companies that, despite the rise of values-based consumers, are simply going with inertia, doing what they've always done without really thinking about it. And then there's also a group of companies that are going to be diving into becoming really values-laden organizations uh, without, uh, without really understanding uh, the consequences that you've, you've just talked about. And so there's a range of options available to companies. We don't want to tell them what they should be doing. What we want to make sure they understand is the possibilities of their relationships with values so that we can all start to think clearly through what choices need to be made. So, Rick, I think this would maybe be a good moment in time to take a step back and discuss the framework that you're you're putting forth for how companies can think about engaging values. Sure, absolutely. So it functions on two variables. Uh, the, the first is uh, what we're calling categories of values. There's three possible kinds of values companies can have. Uh, first of all, they can have neutral values which is the uh, traditional approach to, uh, uh, to business um, in which companies don't really, uh, um, don't really make values to any significant degree you know, a, a, part of the way they, a part of the way they run their business. Sure, there are those things called corporate values, but when we're talking about values here, we're talking about real moral, social, political values, these sort of vague things like integrity or honesty or we promise to treat you right or sustainability, whatever that really means. Uh, maybe those cut it at some point, but in, in a world of values-based consumers, that's really weak tea. Uh, that all counts as just, just bland, milk toast, neutral. Yeah, and you can almost not envision the opposing force by saying, we will treat you poorly as a brand statement. Exactly. So some you of can't these possibly are, disagree. Yes. The it, sky exactly. is blue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a bit of hygiene. Yeah. And then... The second kind of values a company can have is what we call reflected values. This is where a company genuinely adopts 
the values that their current customers have. Uh, or they see some, some huge opportunity in the market and genuinely adopt those values. This isn't a cynical ploy. It's a company saying, wow, more and more people think this. Wow, you know what? They're right. We think that too. It's, it's reflected values. And there can be some, some fuzziness in here. And, and I just want to reiterate, I'm not criticizing a company for this. I'm not, I'm not saying they're lying to you if they're, if they're doing that. Uh, I kind of think of it this way. This is probably the way most of us as individuals hold most of our values most of the time. You kind of look around and you say, wow, you know what? Everybody's kind of thinking this. You know what? Everybody's right. right? That's reflected values. And then the third kind is core values. Uh, core values is when uh, a company um, is infused with values, say, from their founder or their board of directors or their CEO uh, or their employees. And uh, these core values are really uh, central to what the company is about. The company doesn't look outside for values to reflect. Uh, the company has values and says, uh, here we are, we have these values. So rather than say what's reflected values, uh, the, uh, the company goes to the customers. And you can imagine that those reflected values might, um, might migrate a bit over time as social values tend to, tend to you know, change. Whereas core values, these are going to be more stable over time because, because the company says, this is what we stand for. Here we are. Come to us or don't. So neutral means I'm really not taking a stand against the, the values that you're describing. Reflected is I'm responding to dynamics in the marketplace and essentially agreeing with authenticity. And the third one is I'm actually initiating them. I'm, I'm causing them. I'm, I'm making a platform myself and hoping to bring along with me people of like mind. As you look at the market today in these three categories, Rick, where's the concentration? Sure. Well, most companies sit in a category that we call uh, traditional. Uh, this, brings, this brings into play the other variable that the framework looks at, which is not the values uh, that a company has, neutral reflected core, but the degree to which the company expresses those values. Right? And uh, on, that, on that front, you can either abstain, just not, just not say anything. You, you may act on values behind the scenes maybe, but you're not, uh, you're not expressing them. You're not communicating them in any way. And then you, you can signal and if you signal values, this is more about speech than action and some standard corporate social responsibility stuff. Maybe you put something on your website. Maybe you write a couple of checks, that sort of thing. Um, or you can act, which is where you really uh, infuse uh, the customer experience as well as your behind-the-scenes operations uh, with a value. And so when, when we add, when we add uh, that access to the, uh, to the framework, um, what we get is where most companies are, which is neutral in terms of the values that they have, abstain uh, in the degree to which they express any values. And we call that traditional. So they don't really have any moral, social, or political values as we're thinking about them here, nor do they try to pretend to have any of those values. Given what we know about the marketplace and the reasons why people spend money or grow and maintain affinity, is that a durable position? Well, it can be for some companies. Uh, the thing is, it's uh, and and it, and it, it it probably always will be for at least some companies. But the uh, the aperture toward values is is definitely opening wider and wider. And so, this is one of those things where, as I said earlier, you know, companies can't just keep going with what they've been doing on inertia because the vast majority of companies are are in the traditional 
uh, category here. And uh, that's, that's becoming less and less tenable uh, as values-based consumers become more and more important. And like I said, you know, we're not going to say you, you have to flee this category, but you have to start taking a hard look, whereas before you didn't have to think about it. Now you need to think about it. You need to think about it hard. And that's why we're making sure that companies understand these nine options here uh, in terms of what the, what the landscape is like. And, you know, some companies have, have actually told me, uh, well, you know, as, as values-based consumers become more important, we're actually in a stronger position if we stay in the traditional category or at least in the sort of neutral category of values somewhere in there uh, because, uh, you know, th- that way we're a sort of compromise uh, solution uh, for everyone. Like Switzerland, neutral. Uh, yeah, 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 sort of neutral, exactly. You know, we're, we're you know, we're not, we're not going to take a strong stance on these values or those values, and so we're less divisive. Mm. Uh, to which, to which I say, uh, maybe, maybe. But on the other hand, when you get more and more values-based consumers, neutrality starts looking more and more like part of the problem rather than part of the solution from a values-based consumer standpoint, right? And so that's that's what's going to make this trickier. So when we see examples like Nike, like Patagonia, and even CVS in terms of tobacco, you know, they can serve as one-time examples and they sort of fade into the memory. They can put competitive pressures on peers and or they can condition the consumer to expect that, to expect that the company should rise to the occasion. Did those three examples, and obviously there's more, did that change the climate at all for those companies that may be comfortable in the traditional universe? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. There, there's still this idea out there in, in some circles that only, uh, only new brands can become values-based right? or that only startups can become values-based or that this is just some sort of experimental, uh, you know, a small online shop sort of thing, and it's not. Um, you mentioned CVS, Nike, Gillette. Uh, of course, Patagonia was was a real leader in uh, uh, values-based uh, enterprises. We put them in our, our proactive category. They have core values and they act on them. Um, but uh, yeah, there are plenty of other examples out there of, of companies that have been doing this for a long time or that are moving to it despite being a legacy companies. Uh, so so yeah, this is this is not something experimental uh, that only startups can or, or should do. If I look at climate change, there's a certain skepticism or lack of confidence that governments will be able to move fast enough and well enough, or some governments will simply look the other way. And at the same time, you look to the energy companies, you look to the utility companies that are themselves, for their own reasons, going towards decarbonization, meaning that a consumer may have more hope or more faith in the market, meaning companies, than they would in government placing more emphasis, more pressure, or more attention on companies to be the institution of choice to bring, you know, bring us to the next place. I mean, there's a certain shift in where trust is right now. Absolutely. Uh, that's absolutely true. And that's one of the interesting things you mentioned, you mentioned, say, with uh, um, utility companies, also with some auto manufacturers, uh, even some uh, CPG companies, where they're taking a, a a values position, a real, a real reflected or, or core values position, um, and starting to act on those, uh, even without a um, a regulatory drive to do so. So you know, you get car companies saying, "No, no, we're going to continue to drive 
you know, to drive, no pun intended, uh, to meet uh, environmental regulations that have been rolled back, right? Or, uh, say, CPG companies saying, you know, we are going to eliminate, uh, um, you know, certain ingredients from our products, uh, even though regulations that would have banned them are stalled. Right. Right. And so companies are taking lead on this, and people are expecting companies uh, to, to take a lead on this. And when you say take a lead, I mean, there's an important distinction that you're making here that we've made before, which is it is one thing to make bold proclamations at a cocktail party or to throw it on your website is another thing to operationalize it. This is an end-to-end comment about the entire company operating, not the front end simply stating things. Absolutely. That's, that's exactly true. And, and that's, that's where some of these companies tend to, tend to run into to, to trouble be, because the the bar for authenticity is rising. Whereas you know, a few years ago, you might have been able to get away with something like, say, sustainability, you know, or integrity, right? Um, nowadays, those are just those are just too too vague, and people even in some cases look at them cynically. Uh, uh, similarly, uh, companies uh, the bar is rising for for authenticity in terms of action. Whereas a few years ago. Uh, a, a, a single ad or an ad campaign may may have come off as authentic, but nowadays uh, the bar for authenticity is higher. So people see an ad that seems to take a strong values position. The very next thing they do is they go, okay, well, um, uh, what organization is this company donating money to? Mm-hmm. What, you know, what are the personal behaviors of this company's executives? Uh, how about their their supply chain? Et cetera, et cetera. And so the bar for authenticity is getting higher and higher. And some sort of the positive, which is in some cases, consumers want that sense of belonging with a brand that is like-minded, so they wish to become participants. And if they can't participate, because to your point of chef's veneer, there's disappointment. And on the negative side, you do have this watchdog dynamic where if you say something, there's an instant re- response to prove it to the negative, meaning I'm going to prove you wrong and then out you in the social universe. I mean, both both dynamics will, to your point, raise the bar in authenticity. Absolutely. And uh, however, the the, th- the thing to to remember though is is that uh, thinking about different sorts of customer segments, uh, you know, some are going to respond more to to that than than others. You know, and so there may be companies out there for whom uh, a couple you know a couple TV ads uh, that make a strong value stand is enough. But not for everyone, and it's not a slam dunk like it like it might have been just a few years ago. Which is why I say companies need to be more deliberate about about this. You know, my criticism of a company isn't isn't for for which of these nine relationships with values it has, but for how thoughtfully it ended up where it is. So, Rick, what does this look like in reality? I think it's very easy for us to understand, you know, values based marketing, right? Put to your example put a couple ads out, make a statement. But what does it mean to infuse customer experience with something that's values-based? Sure, sure. Well, take a company uh, like Chick-fil-A, possibly the most famous core values brand. This is a company that is founded by and is dedicated to conservative Christian values. Uh, This company is is deeply active with like-minded charities. Everyone knows they're closed on Sundays. Uh, and other than that, what? Where are Chick-fil-A's values in the customer experience? There's only one place, and that is 
uh, the music they play in the restaurants is an instrumental version of Christian music. They used to actually have music with lyrics up until a few years ago, but they got rid of the lyrics. Now it's only instrumental. So you could go to Chick-fil-A six days a week for your whole life, and if you weren't cued into that music, if you hadn't heard that music, say, from going to church yourself, you'd never notice that it was, that it was Christian music. Right? And so for, for most people who go to Chick-fil-A, the values of the company really aren't, uh, aren't infused in the customer experience really at all. And uh, if, you, if you are cued into that, then the values are there in a very mild way. Uh, there was certainly something of a backlash uh, among a, a core group of Chick-fil-A customers when they got rid of the lyrics um, a while back. But um, you know, it's, it seems that a company like Chick-fil-A was very careful about that. Chick-fil-A, uh, they have values and they want, they're dedicated to those values, but they're, they also, uh, it seems to me, um, have decided that uh, they're going to they're gonna take a, 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 a very limited approach to bringing the values into the experience so that they can remain as mass market a brand as possible. Right? And they still get some backlash. This or that community uh, doesn't allow them in. Uh, there's a case of an airport in Texas that um, that wouldn't allow them in, and that the, uh, there's investigation by the Texas Attorney General now, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that, you know, you still get a bit of that. But then, on the other hand, you might take a company like uh, Mission Barbecue, a Southeast regional U.S. Uh, a restaurant chain. Um, I mentioned it simply by way of comparison with Chick Fil A, another restaurant chain. Uh, they are one of these proactive brands in the same category as, say, Patagonia or Tom's Shoes or uh, some others. Uh, every day at noon in all of Mission Barbecue's restaurants, everything stops. Everyone stands up, sings the U.S. national anthem. There, there are decommissioned military vehicles outside, American flags everywhere. Their website is more about veterans than it is about barbecue. Right? They have a very specific pro-military, pro-veteran uh, type of patriotism values that they infuse throughout the entire customer experience. And they have very strong customer loyalty uh, as a result. Now, there are some people who will never go into a mission barbecue as a result, but there are a great many people who go out of their way to go to a mission barbecue as a result. So in both those cases, they were born that way. And you know, if you if you look at the choices, if I come out of the traditional segment, and I say, well, I want to I want to go someplace else, either because of economic opportunity or because of true belief system. Apart from the overt patriotism that happens during the buildup or times of war, there's not a long history of teaching organizations to do this. There's no playbook for this thing. So, I mean, and, and this is fraught with a lot of muchiness here where a lot of things could go wrong. So how are companies even thinking about transitioning from a traditional state into a different state, whatever choice they make? Right. Well, right now it's, pr it's pretty messy. Uh, and so that's one of the things we're doing with the line of research is, is um, we're going to be doing a series of reports here that are really going to help companies think more methodically about how to do that. Uh, because there are companies out there that, that think you can still get away with just a couple of ads. Um, and then the rest of the company just keeps doing what they've always been doing, and, uh, um, and then people find out, and you get it—you know—you get yourself a bit of a scandal. Uh, I like—I like what CVS has done here. I think what CVS has done is really interesting. They—I do um, think of them as a reflected values brand, uh, right? They—they uh, they saw um, 
uh, social attitudes about uh, tobacco uh, changing. And they said, you know what, if those people are right. Um, we're going to uh, we're going to remove tobacco products from our stores, as we all know. A few years ago, this happened, right? Um, but um, uh, just recently, actually, CVS uh, this, uh, said that they wouldn't do business with ad agencies anymore that also had tobacco clients. Hmm. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, and um, digging in, seeing you know, seeing what else might be on on the horizon here for really really deepening their commitment to these values. So um, you know, they went right from basically. Uh, neutral values, abstaining from communicating anything that that traditional to uh, to what we call a responsive company, reflected values, and they're really acting on them. They're not, you know, they sure they did ads, but you know, in in hand in hand with their ads, they also made real changes to the in-store experience. Now they made a calculation here. They know, uh, and you, know, you can see this in, in in comments from from the CEO and other executives that uh, any um, uh, any hit in sales they might take from not selling tobacco products, they expected and, and, and did, you know, make up uh, um, equal or greater amount in in other sales. And so, uh, you know, they they weren't um, they weren't necessarily planning to take a, you know a, a a huge a huge profit hit on, on moral grounds here. Uh, but um, but this was a genuine transformation, and they've done it, and they're continuing to dig deeper on it. And and that's part of their whole business transformation. Have you seen companies sort of think of this from a talent perspective? Because you're mentioning that there is underlying some of these choices are pretty complex financial models, which is if I do this, then that, and how can I overcome what I'm giving up with a larger gain elsewhere? There's also, I'm going to change my supply chain, change who I work with. And it might be if I'm bringing, you know, products to market. And if I say I'm no longer going to be involved in animal testing, I've changed the way I do business at a very foundational point. How are companies thinking of this from a talent and procedural standpoint? Because it can have the effect of reshaping key parts of the very core of the business versus the veneer or the, you know, the taglines or ads to your point. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I think one of the most interesting approaches here is uh, one of the proactive uh, uh, brands, uh, Patagonia, uh, their, their, I believe it was their, C, their CEO um, and founder, of course, uh, a couple of years ago said, um, said in the media, it was asked about, uh, about hiring practices, uh, about you know, this or that sort of technical skill or, or something like that. Um, and he said something to the effect, I'm going I'm to sort of mangle this uh, um, in memory here, but something to the effect of that they, they think more about the, the uh, prospective employees uh, values than they than they do about this or that particular technical skill because and here's where I might mangle the quote um, uh, it's harder to teach someone to care about the earth right so so his approach was basically you know if 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 if, if you got a good foundation you know maybe we can get you up to speed on something we we you know we need to do but um, uh, the culture the culture connection the values connection has to be there because that's that's what matters more. So if I'm Patagonia, I I want to win on the basis in part that I care about and are going to deliver to the environment different and better than my competition. But it's not as if North Face or Spider or other companies don't like the environment. So how does it come like Patagonia maintain that position? Because it could be almost like an arms race of prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it. Because these companies in market also are outdoors in their orientation, just using this as the example. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, there are several brands, uh, as, as you point out here, that, that, that have these sort of uh, clothing companies, oftentimes with a, a kind of outdoorsy bent to them, uh, strong environmental values. Uh, and so you know, things, are, things, are, things are getting crowded uh, in, in, that, in that proactive uh, category, and they're only going to get more crowded. Uh, and companies are, are, are going to have to start doing a couple of different things here. Uh, one is uh, maybe appealing more and more deeply to a narrower and narrower set of values. So uh, let's just say, for instance, um, there's a growing understanding that um, uh, banning, say, single-use plastic bags at a grocery store um, certainly has an environmentally positive effect because there's less plastic litter. But it also has an environmentally negative effect because it requires massively more energy to produce a reusable bag. So if you're not using your reusable bag you know, hundreds of times, which of course hardly anybody is, you're, you know, you're creating more air pollution for less benefit. And so you know, the onion starts to get sliced thinner and thinner. Okay, you know, we're not just environmental. We're anti, let's say, air pollution. So we're going to stick with the single-use plastic bag because we're going to maximize for clean air and and you know rather than lack of litter and another company saying no no we're going to ban the plastic bag because we're going to focus on litter rather than air pollution right it, 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 it's it's that's just one example but a lot of ways to, to slice the uh, slice the onion thinner and thinner just think about all the different sorts of patriotisms that are out there uh, in the world today right and another one is that some companies are also um, uh, making a conscious calculation about how far they want to go um, in um, you know with some of these with some of these values while remaining really in this what I think of as what I call this proactive category uh, for instance I, I talked to one uh, really interesting um, online retail company called uh, dungood.co uh, and all of the the vendors that they um, they sell all, all the clothing companies that they sell on on their website, uh, have to meet a series of environmental commitments. However, I was talking about this about, about to what degree you should go on this. How how intense does the the commitment to reducing waste and reducing pollution uh, and uh, pesticides, et cetera, et cetera, go? And one of the things they were talking about how was how uh, you know if you make things too stringent, then nobody can nobody can meet those criteria, and the whole thing is pointless. So right. you've got to go far. Uh, but you've got to push things. But if you push them too far, all of a sudden everybody's out of business because nobody can meet the commitment. So companies need to be thinking uh, about that too, like like some companies really are in, in making a making a careful calculation. So one of the one of the companies you you point out in the research is GE, and I and I bring this up not because of GE, but because of the conglomerate state of GE. So we are in economic times where we're going to see, you know, acquisitions. We'll start to see these more complex companies that operate in different markets with different operating entities that are themselves the brands. So how do you see this playing out with those companies? Does each of the elements of the portfolio have to have a similar, you know, song and dance? Can they vary? Is there, does it, is it really, does this dynamic favor the companies that are singular in dimension so they can go all in on a simpler path and a conglomerate that has to concern itself with alignment across the different portfolio companies? How does it work in the context of conglomerates? Well, things, uh, things certainly are easier for a company that's not in a conglomerate situation uh, like GE or a really global, any sort of global business. Um, however, 
uh, take Tom's Shoes, for instance. Uh, Tom's Shoes is an international brand, and they have some core values. However, they operationalize those core values in different ways uh, around the globe. So, for instance, in the U.S., uh, they had a, a very strong, very interactive with customers campaign against gun violence. However, in uh, uh, Asia Pacific region, gun violence isn't isn't uh, isn't a, a particularly salient issue. So, uh, Tom's sticking with its core values uh, of sort of good citizenship being being one of them uh, really uh, just operationalized it in a different way, um, and they're working on. Uh, really customizing out the whole customer experience, um, operationalizing its core values in different ways uh, for for different markets, um, you know, based on what's salient uh, and what isn't. Uh, other other things that that can certainly uh, get some of the big conglomerates into trouble is is yeah, you know, if if some of the the different units uh, of these large businesses aren't all on the same page, it immediately comes out as as is inauthentic. Uh, whereas, I think it's m- it's more likely in at least some cases that, that I've seen that it's just a really big company. And, and uh, you know, as, 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 as we see with other customer experience topics in large companies, a lot of times uh, it's really just a, a lack of coordination or, uh, you know, somebody doesn't get the memo rather than some conscious effort to mislead. Uh, but take Nike, for instance. Uh, Nike was, was criticized after uh, the um, Kaepernick ads uh, came out that the company was donating money to uh, to groups that oppose, uh, you know, what what Colin Kaepernick, uh, um, you know, is going for, and uh, and so right away some people were saying, well, see, this this is uh, evidence that Nike is being disingenuous. Um, now, I don't know, but the situation looks to me like one of those situations in which just nobody nobody thought to tell the to tell the lobbying folks, you know, and the end of the quarter came or whatever, and they wrote the checks that they usually write. Um, because just nobody, nobody thought of it. Yeah, so it also goes to the point of, you know, when you decide to go down this trail, the whole company has to come with you. You can't bring half the company with you and leave the other half behind because it goes to, to your point, authenticity, but also goes to the watchdog um, dynamic where people will go find out why there's cracks in that armor. Exactly, absolutely. And as I said earlier, you know, the, the, some of those cracks may be, may be more salient for some customer segments uh, than for others, you know, Nike has Nike has done well for itself. Uh, it's not like that was a that was a huge torpedo in the side of its efforts. Uh, but um, but yeah, you know, more and more people are getting more and more concerned about these sorts of things. And uh, as we all know, in in today's media environment, a lot of times uh, people won't assume uh, uh, an honest mistake. People will assume uh, that you're trying to trick them. Rick, in in your conversations with firms. Are you seeing that this is a dynamic that's sort of a, a bottoms-up thing that employees are wanting their the company that they work for to have more of a stake in values, or that it's coming from the top down? Which obviously, if you have a founder who's passionate about a certain topic, that sort of infuses the organization. Is there both of these things at play in the market? Yeah, and before you answer, I mean that was interesting because we interviewed the CEO from Box. It was very much it came from within but got quick advocacy from the CEO, had that instant authenticity of right. came organically. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I, and I'm seeing both. And, and uh, employees are certainly uh, a key factor here because uh, just as we know that more and more customers are looking for uh, companies with, with uh, aligned values, uh, 
more and more employees uh, want that sort of thing out of their employer as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Lush Cosmetics is an interesting case here where uh, Lush uh, uh, adopts certain causes you know, per periodically and really makes a, whole, makes a whole push around promoting that cause, even, the, even to the point of um, training its retail employees to talk to customers uh, when, they, when customers come in about that issue. Uh, and so um, uh, that, you know, those employees are really a core part of that. And, and the ideas for which campaigns to get behind uh, oftentimes at Lush Cosmetics do come from employees. There'll be a sort of groundswell from employees and Lush will say, okay, that's, that's where we are now. Let's, you know, let's, let's do that. So we're at a point in time, Rick, where outrage, cynicism, skepticism, you know, lack of trust in institutions is normal. And companies probably can't stay on the fence for too long. Ultimately, we think that they're going to move from the traditional into some box. What is your advice in the early steps to the CEO and board that understands that when they make these choices, there are short-term and long-term consequences. What is the things that they want to think about from a total business or CX perspective? Sure. The most important thing for companies to, to do right now, I mean, before they do anything else, is they have to figure out where they currently stand, which I know sounds easy, but it might even sound like some sort of, some sort of obvious or non sequitur. But it's really important, and I don't see many companies doing this. I talk to a ton of companies that are most of most of, of which are in that traditional box, neutral values, abstaining from from expressing any values, and they don't think they are. I've even talked to uh, um, several several companies in in what we call the deceptive category. That is, they're neutral on values, uh, but they're they're really trying very hard to pretend to have values. Um, and uh, some of the employees even really believe it. Uh, and, um, well, some customers do, most don't. But so when I, when I say you have to figure out where, what your current relationship is with values, uh, I'm talking about a series of very hard conversations with people across the organization to really figure out which of these, which of these nine uh, relationships with, with values you have. Because when you take a good, hard look at your company and you figure out where you stand, uh, now you're really going to be able to figure out what the costs and benefits are of being where you are uh, and um, and then start looking at the costs and benefits of figuring out where you might want to go. Um, but uh, off the top of their heads, my experience is uh, many business leaders um, don't put their company in uh, the category where that company really um, really belongs. They think it has a relationship with values that it doesn't have. And, um, uh, you know, you can't figure out where you need to be until you figure out where you are. Because as I say, uh, you can't figure out the, what the real costs and benefits are until you know where you are. Rick, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for your time today. Hey, great talking to you. Thank you. Thanks. Like what you heard today? It's your last chance to register for Forrester CX NYC 2019. Join Rick and other CX thought leaders from Navy Federal, Patagonia, Toms, and many more at Forrester's Forum next week. To learn more and register, go to 4.com slash CXNYC2019. That's F-O-R-R.com slash CXNYC2019. Thanks for listening.